0: Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on Cybrary.it using the
1: discount code PODCAST. You're listening to the 401 Access Denied Podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cybery. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Lycotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another 401 Access to My podcast. I am your host, Joseph Carson, and I've got a very, very exciting discussion. Uh, we're really looking forward to hopefully kind of going into some fun topics and some interesting things, that, you know, that you'll probably start to see more kind of in a future scenario and uh, kind of interesting to see where this conversation is going to go today. So I'm joined again with my co-host, Mike. Do you want to give a kind of yep, a Mike wave a hello?
1: Yep. <laughs> VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cypherry. Very excited about today's topic. Um, we have Josh Lespinosa once again uh, uh, joining us. Uh, always exciting to talk to him. Today, the topic is OT, uh, specifically around uh, transportation security. And I'll let Josh introduce himself. Um, welcome back.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I guess the uh, the last episode didn't go too poorly and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you invited me back. Um yeah, I'm Josh Lospinoso, um CEO of Shift5. Uh we're an OT cybersecurity company that uh, defends planes, trains and tanks from cyber attack. Awesome. So, you know nothing about this topic. Yeah. I don't. I'm coming in <laughs> I'm coming in good. blind here. Um so I'm hoping to learn a lot from you guys and
2: uh <laughs> um, it's really Really interesting because I got uh, when well, we're talking about transportation. Well, no, I, I you know for a person who travels a lot and you do get to see a lot, you know, when you're when traveling around the world in different countries. But being based um, here in Estonia, I got involved in quite a lot of kind of new innovative areas, and I'm kind of really interested to get your insights as well, Josh, today and, on on some of these topics. Um, when I got involved in in specifically in OT and transportation was it was around uh, probably just a little bit over 10 years ago, probably around 12 years ago now. And it was in the maritime industry. And I was working on projects. We just did a project in the mining industry where they actually did basically with the large, you know, mining trucks, those super basically massive kind of dump trucks that they have. What they had done was they had actually not made them autonomous, but what they did was they had driver assisted. So they were no longer having the drivers in their trucks, they were actually having them remotely operate them. And the whole goal around the initiatives here was to remove people from harmful, hazardous environments. That was ultimately the initial goal, was to take people out of places where their life could be endangered by falling rocks or, you know, explosions kind of going off, or not being able to, you know, there's trucks not being able to see people on the ground. So they really focus around the kind of the people side of things and the health and safety. And then again, in the maritime industry, the same project that was around making ships autonomous. Um, really, what we ended up getting to, we did get to autonomous kind of met, you know, methods and techniques in there, but initially it all became remote-assisted again. It all became, you know, captains of ships were no longer sitting on the bridge of a ship. They'd be sitting in a, like a remote office location with a simulator, um, you know, like a, a proper bridge that was set up to look exactly like the bridge of a ship. And they would sit behind and actually remotely operate the ship. Now, there's a lot of challenges. The, the things that we did find into when they actually going down this path was all about the safety systems. Safety became the major, major concern. Um, if you take, for example, um, you know, a ton of, anything where it involves people, and anything where it involves like, you know, people getting on public transportation, there was a, far, a car ferry in Finland. And ultimately, what happened was this car ferry was to be automated completely automated, uh, take passengers and vehicles from one uh, port to the next. And ultimately, the major challenge we came across was, again, the safety systems, that if somebody fell off the ferry into the water, what machine or what technology could actually throw the life vest to that person? And ultimately, what resulted then is that, yes, they became more efficient uh, done in the actually autonomous operations but ultimately, it came down that they still needed people to be involved in the health and safety side of things. So that was always the driver that I've been finding in a lot of these projects, was around taking people out of hazardous environments.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, that is one absolutely like appropriate reason for why OT systems have seen so much um, Compute like so many uh, the integration of technology onto these systems to replace analog systems. There are a lot of other ones, right? So, um, I mean, as early as the 1980s, we saw um, OT systems starting to to bring electronics. on to, for controls and sensors. So, um, Bosch, like, is one of the <laughs> pioneers, actually, in this in this space, right? So, I mean, they invented controller area network, CAN. Um, I think it was for, like, Mercedes-Benz vehicles, right? And so, um, I think there was, like, a do- for, for two reasons, they they went down this path. One is, well, electronics are just a lot cheaper than analog systems for sensing mm-hmm. and actuating things. Um, they're oftentimes more reliable, and you can manufacture them to, to higher tolerances. Um and the second thing is, is that they're, they're yeah so they 're their, their better functionality and they 're cheaper and so given those t- two very strong economic drivers, um, all of a sudden now you 've got um, all the incentive in the world for all of the OEMs that manufacture this stuff to be moving towards electronic systems um, to, to operate these things and uh, I think it 's really um, helpful to start this discussion off but as you did with with sort of the safety discussion because um, you know, I don't want to give people the impression that OT systems aren't safe. That, that that they're not like engineered for safety in the physical world. They very much are. Right, engineers that that design these systems think a lot about how these systems are supposed to be robust and reliable in the physical world, like in all kinds of operating scenarios. But where where people like uh, like me come in is we say, okay, that's great, but what if you have a winning adversary who's compromising the electronic components of that system that can take on so many different forms. But what if, what if all of a sudden you introduce you know, um, Eve into this scenario and, and now you've got an, an adversary who's trying to subvert this system on you? How does your system perform now? And we, we do this analysis on IT systems all the time, right? I mean, like we've got unit tests and reliability integration tests to make mm-hmm. sure that our software does what we say it's supposed to do. Um, and then we also have, you know as you <laughs> very well know, we have mm-hmm. penetration tests to test our systems for robustness against winning adversaries. We don't have that like ladder scenario in vast majorities of OT systems. And I think this is going to be like a big frontier in cybersecurity over the next Yeah, decade. absolutely. Because what
2: you're saying is one of the things is that the big difference, and even we talk about IoT and OT, is the big difference is those are typically very, very focused to specific tasks. They have one function, open the valve, close the valve, open the valve, close the valve, yeah. read the temperature or send it to a, a gateway or a correlator. They have very, very specific tasks. And what we're used to in, in, in typical IT systems is, is that they're multifunctional, they can reprogrammed, repurposed, and therefore we have to think of the bigger picture. But what's all these possibilities? How can it be abused? How can you, you know, really take advantage by taking one protocol, modifying it, and then being able to take advantage of that? Yep. But in, in OT, they basically they test in these very, very specific limited scenarios and they don't step back and say, well, if somebody has access to, access to this and changes the parameters or changes the configuration, how can it be abused? How can it be yes. manipulated? And that's well, the I think thing. it also,
1: I mean, to, right on that though, I think it's, it's very, very similar in software engineering to the difference between a unit test, right? You have your function. Yep. The, the, you, your function, it has inputs, it has outputs. You write all the unit tests. You're like, yep, this is great. Um, you can even test some, some things under like mm-hmm. breaking... But then, that's why integration and system and end-to-end tests are so important. Is because it's it's not how does this thing operate in and of itself. It's how does it operate within the larger system. And once you get the, it's once you get all those interplays between these very small, you know, atomic, you know, atomic things. That's when you get the problems. Is when you start bringing them all together, and then they start working in ways that maybe you hadn't anticipated. And you know, one thing I want to say on Josh's first point, though, I think. Um, and and yours, Joe, as well, which is, I think the the systems really did come from this notion of we want to try and create a safer world. So it, it is, you know, again, I, I just can't emphasize enough what Josh was saying about um, these systems were designed for safety. That's sort of what uh, what where they started, right? And so now we're just talking about what happens when when people start to try to abuse them or take advantage of them, yeah, um, or maybe even, I mean, there's also Plenty of opportunities, I think, where there's just unintended consequences. Right? You plug in a, th- a device now; cars have uh, mm-hmm. USB. Um, things can interact, and it might just be an unintended consequence. They have um, telemetry
0: but... solutions connected to the <laughs> internet. I mean, <laughs> right. like the, the access problem has sort of gone away. It's not theoretical anymore. Right? There's so many ways onto these systems. We 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 can't. We have we have to stop ignoring. OT systems as technology. Um, I couldn't agree more with you, G. And and just to like emphasize what we're all saying, just to to make it crystal clear, I think for people that maybe haven't thought about the Mm IT-OT distinction, the way I think about it is IT systems are there to help make business decisions, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're there to store data and help business people um, operate their business, right? Uh, OT systems are there to do business. They're there for the actual operation of your business. And... Oftentimes that means manipulating the physical world. And, um, when, when you, when, when you have a cyber compromise on the IT system, it can be bad. Don't get me wrong. Like you can, I mean, we've seen examples where people get crypto lockered at hospitals Mm -hmm. and it has real like impacts on people's lives. You can, you can have losses in the millions and billions of dollars as a result of like, you know, credit card fraud and all these sorts of things. But like, if you compromise an aircraft or a train, it is very easy for people to lose their lives, right? Like the seriousness of this is just order of magnitudes higher than it is on IT systems, and like I can't, I can't. I feel like kicking little sometimes, like screaming about what a problem this is. But people, I mean, the the, the 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 metros that you that you ride to and from work every day are operated by computers, and those computers are not. Hardened against cyber attack. It's insane. It it makes me very, very, very nervous. Um, And uh, and and it doesn't take a lot of imagination. To Joe's point, to imagine, okay, well, say you either plugged a rogue device onto the data data bus of that of of that train, you compromise the cell phone that's uh, a cell modem that's attached to that bus, you compromise the wayside infrastructure, you compromise the laptop that gets plugged into that that train to do maintenance, any component of this or supply Mm -hmm. chain attacks. And now all of a sudden you broadcast a a series of messages on that bus and the train, you know, can like accelerate indefinitely into, into the blocks at the end of the, you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to, you know, see. And
2: and going, going, going in in addition to that, one of the things, so for example, when we did the car furry, the autonomous side of things, it was all, that was a very interesting project because, and the reason why we did the car furry first was that we didn't have to deal with international maritime law because international maritime law specifically has, has a clause, meaning no unmanned vessels. <laughs> I didn't know that. someone on the vessel. So huh. that's why they did it in local waters to start off with. So we looked at a, around a lot of these different uh, scenarios. And ultimately, even the problem was, and it, and they, I think this is crucial when we talk about, and it's Josh, going back to your point, is about IT is really there to help people make decisions and to interact. There's a lot of human interaction. When you get into OT, the interaction between humans is to observe monitoring of the data, and to make sure that those systems are performing to what they're actually intentionally are performed or, are intentionally to do. Whether well, it's producing electricity, whether it's you know basically logistics and shipping calculations and so forth, uh, and the things that I find was is that when you mix let's say the OT and IT together, that's where creates the big risk when you actually converge those both together. So just like if you take for example when we did the shipping lane, is that everything was perfectly fine if you remove all other vessels from the water. And you have this little person who's on his day cruise in his little boat <laughs> and is coming you know, across and isn't actually, let's say, putting up his uh, AIS system tracking to, to let other vessels know that he's in the water. That, that's where the problems occur. It's that even in, in autonomous uh, vehicles, um, here in Estonia we've been doing a lot of testing. And when we did the testing a few years ago during the EU presidency, what we find was we actually had to have a dedicated autonomous lane because when you mix autonomous vehicles with other drivers in the road, that's where accidents happen. So we get into is this convergence, which is actually increasing the risk, and we really had to step back and think about: do we continue down that path of convergence, or we do do we need to do that continuous separation of OT and IT to make sure that we don't have that convergence? where pe- people walking into manufacturing floors, just as you mentioned, like an, an Bosch or, or con manufacturers, the minute they step across that line, or this is actually OT environment, when you put humans in that, that's where accidents happen. That's where the safety problems evolve. And that's my concern is that what I've seen in, in, in my recent experience is that if, if you buy an engine for, like a, let's say, a par station or a, a mar- like a ship or something, if you buy the engine, or even if you get a autonomous vehicle, today, um, so say if you even go buy a Tesla, you own the physical hardware. You own that device. But the data that's being generated is continued to be owned by the manufacturer. And that's where the requirement is, is to keep those devices internet connected, meaning that that data can be transferred to the actual manufacturer. And this is where, for my concern, a lot of the problems start to arise, is that convergence of OT and IT. And therefore, those OT systems were not designed basically, in a penetration or security, you know, design. They were designed for safety.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and it, it reminds me, like, the, the, I mean, human nature is is so persistent across all of these different evolutions, and it reminds me, I, I mean, I, I read about this because I wasn't alive in the 70s, but, like, it <laughs> reminds me of when I read about how academics invented the Internet, right? And, right. and so you've got... You know, Ethernet and TCPIP are invented for these, like, they're, they're amazing, but they're invented for redundancy across, like, links going down, right? Again, reliability and robustness, not for cybersecurity. And so, um, if you've got a, a network of trusted people, TCPIP and Ethernet make a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. But but what has happened is, since we we sort of opened this up to the broader population we're having to cope with all of the problems that are associated with the fundamental insecurity that's built into the protocols that underpin modern society. And we're doing, I think, an admirable job. I mean, like, you know, I trust banking transactions online now. I mean... PKI has got a lot of problems, but like by and large, I mean, it, it, it does raise the bar quite a bit for, for cyber attacks. I think operating systems um, today are much, much, much mm-hmm. more secure than they used to be. And they do a Absolutely. pretty good job of mitigating. Um, the, and, and then, you know, like, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing on an enterprise IT network, I can say from years of experience as an attacker, like, there is, it is hard for us to gain access. Mm-hmm. Like someone has to mess up basically, um, for the most part. And unless I'm very careful, I'm going to get caught, right? If I'm doing a bunch of crazy stuff on the network, I'm going to get caught pretty quickly. And so, like, we've gotten to a place where I'm not happy with it, but like, I have like an acceptable level of like irritation about the level of IT cybersecurity. (laughs) I am like terrified on the OT side, right? Because we've had this parallel evolution of all of these these technologies that have evolved for the purposes of, you know, serving some sort of economic purpose um, without a corollary growth in the cybersecurity products to sort of patch what's going on on the side of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, that's, I think, so... Putting my money where my mouth is. I mean, this is what Shift Five is trying to do, right? Is like we are mm-hmm. making an intrusion detection and intrusion prevention system for the data buses that are on mm-hmm. OT systems, like not not Ethernet, because you know, like there are a lot of Ethernet IDSs. Mm-hmm. We do IDS on the serial protocols that are on these systems, right? And so, I mean, there's it, it's sort of like it's an obvious thing when you think about it. You're like, well, why are we doing like intrusion detection on OT systems? Like, there's this entire like as you said, there's data getting generated, like like gigabytes of data a day getting generated uh, per system. Like, why aren't we monitoring that stuff um, mm-hmm. and bringing that into our environment for for the SOC so that people have, like, a good understanding of what's going on there? Um, I just, I think there will be um, an ecosystem of cybersecurity mm-hmm. companies attacking different parts of this problem, right? You've got the endpoint security problem of, like, um, is the firmware... Uh, uh, hardened on the electronic control units, so that like they're not they're hard to compromise, right? Like, um, are we signing firmware that goes across these data buses to to upload onto the the controllers, right? Like that that sort of thing. Like maybe firewalls for each of the electronic control units. Like there's a whole ecosystem, I think, of products that are going to arise around trying to like retrofit security onto these systems that are not going anywhere. Um, and then there's also like OEMs trying to build more secure systems like sort of by first principles. So there's a lot of like activity here, but we're it's really early days.
1: But I think the other thing with that is that um, OT, t- especially transportation systems, tend to be around a lot longer, right? You don't uh, change, you know, when you think about IT systems and how you know, the lifespan on most of those is a couple of years, maybe five, you know, whatever it is. Um, Cars, planes, trains. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at the DC metro system. Um, I don't know. Decades. (laughs) Decades.
0: Um, And so... They're really expensive assets. I mean, like, right. the, the, the stuff that we're looking at isn't really automotive. It's like multi-million dollar assets, like the heavy, the earth movers that Joe, Joe was talking about, or uh, an aircraft, is you know, right. millions, and millions, of, a, a weapon, a military weapon system, like a, like an Apache attack helicopter, or an F-35, oh my God, right? right? Like, like, these are <laughs> hugely expensive assets um, that are not going anywhere for a very, very long time. Because right. you have to amortize that cost over years of use. Yeah, because
2: I remember a few years ago, I got the opportunity to see a satellite decommissioning. Um, and that was always interesting. I always remember it. That the, the person was that we were kind of observing. And uh, the colleague colleague of mine, kind of peer, said to me, he's like, Right now, as they push this button that was designed 30 years ago, we hope it works. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Everyone's retired, so if it doesn't work, it doesn't actually. There's no ramifications for anybody's careers. Yeah. Uh. So the person the person designed
2: it, you know, is probably retired for many right. years. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting. It was like because you know, right now we have we have to push this, in, and then what it's going to do is going to kind of take the fuel out of the satellite, and then it's going to slowly move it to this parking lot, which then is a, is outer orbit. So I'm just going. Okay, and the satellite was meant to be, in in circulation, was meant to be for 20 years, this is now in its 25th year. Yep, and right. the, actually prior to that, it was actually already in development for five years. So this single button that they're sitting there- Using pretty... parts that were 10 years old when they <laughs> right, started right. design
0: because- <laughs> So it's and basically, just... yeah, it's basically made out of vacuum tubes. Uh, exactly. Right. And,
2: per- and that's the perspective as, as what, you know, as, as Mike and yourself are saying, is that's perspective is that a lot of these are designed to be around for a very, very long time. Yeah, and even and... I see, you know, when I get into ships, And I go into the bridge of a ship and you're looking at things that show Windows 2000. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, we're not even talking XP. We're talking Windows 2000. Yeah. You know, you might even see, you know, you might even hear the the Windows 95 chime once yeah. in a while. Yeah. If yeah. Actually, this is if you stay around long enough.
0: Where where NT new technology actually meant new technology <laughs> because it was the next generation of Windows operating system. Like these things right. are operating in real mode. Like you want to talk about bad no. cybersecurity? Like you compromise a user mode program, you own the box. Like like at the current, ker- there's no kernel mm. user mode distinction. No separation. Like, it, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, it's just like uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I read this article that, like, uh, Her Majesty's submarines were running, like, uh, I think it was, like, Windows ME or something insane. I was just like, I can't, I can't, there might be a nuclear payload on this thing.
2: Even the new new submarines that they're actually, (laughs) Um, was it in the UK, they were designing the latest uh, uh, carriers and submarines, and they were still running XP as well. I just get into, it's like, it's because... It's proven. Um, right. know, it's it's something that they're right. used to. Um, yeah. It's it's very costly to then try and transition some of those things over to work with later. So they're they're using what they know. Yep. Um, and and yep. this is the difference between the OT and IT is that we're continually you know let's say even even in IT the life cycle cycles expand slightly. We have to be real you know real as that it used to be two to three years. You get new hardware. You'd have this. You you change a thirty year equipment every year. And just keep that rotation until, and then we started getting a bit more cost effective and we started getting new processors and chipsets that would last a bit longer and and they were advancing quicker than the operating systems could take advantage of them. Things when we moved to from 32-bit to 64-bit and so forth. And then hard drive, drive space started accelerating as well. So we get, we've get we expanded in IT to, to being somewhere, maybe five years, so you could push it to seven if you really wanted to. Um, but when we get into OT, we're talking, you know, 20 plus in some, some cases. Your point is that it's, it's too costly to replace them. So do we need to get to a point where it's more modular, that these things are not kind of designed as massive kind of, uh, let's say, um, one kind of component um, that they can be modular, you can replace it much easier, um, just like we get into sensors, just like sensor light bulb breaks, you take it out, you put another one in, you, you're good to go. Do we get into much more modular system for uh, OT systems?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, 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 a, it's a great observation and, and we're getting there. So, you know, one of the things that struck me uh, in the rail industry, for example, is the, um, a lot of OEMs that manufacture components that go on to make up a train. Um, they uh, will use communication protocols that are standardized, right? So there's one, uh, the, the, the Society for Automotive Engineering, uh, SAE, put a standard out called J1939 it's like a thousand page document that like in exquisite detail says like, Hey, if you're going to put a can message together that says what the like uh, engine RPM for like the main motor is, this is the, this is the format for it. Right. Um, and for economic reasons, it's just made a ton of sense for that industry to start to congeal around that standard. And mm-hmm. it, it, permits the sorts of things that you're alluding to, which is like, okay, well, if I want to add a new sensor, replace the braking system or whatever, obviously there's like the physical components you have to figure out. But like mm-hmm. from a control's perspective or a sensor's perspective, if, if 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 the sensor complies with J1939, it means you can kind of swap it out. It's much like you think of a motherboard and you've got, oh, this thing talks PCI. Okay, cool. I can mm-hmm. plug that in, right? Um, and so I think it's definitely getting there for economic reasons, you know, um. I think what uh, you know. So, so as G is fond of saying, like you know, we we do agile software development, but like agile development for like you know physical systems in the world is like a really bad idea, right? Like you can't agilely develop a bridge, or 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 you and you probably shouldn't do it with an aircraft, right? Like you know, MVP of an aircraft is a terrifying process, um, and and so so it's it sort of there's all these things nest together into what you guys are saying because like when you design an aircraft, you're like, okay, we are going to hit this out of the park. We have to get this right the first mm-hmm. time. And for us to do that, that means we're going to put components that are super reliable, that we know we've tested the crap out of into this system. And then we're just going to sort of like keep it the way it is because when we start changing stuff, Boeing 737 MAX 8, yeah. we end up with all kinds of really difficult problems that, that can kill people. And uh, it's, it's fundamentally different from like up, upgrading your data center to to solid state drives, right?
2: Yeah. And this is where, where the, my concern is while we get into OT is the more it becomes software. <laughs> <laughs> that's the more you get the vulnerabilities. Oh, uh, dude. This, this is where this, we this, live. This, that's, where, that's it. This, this is the that's where software I
1: think adds to, it. Yeah. to your point, Joe, earlier about like them being connected, right? So on the one side, on the one hand, right, having it not connected is, to, is somewhat good, I guess, um, in ways. But having them be connected to the network means you can do things like what Tesla did, which was mm-hmm you can you can actually push out a patch and upgrade and update systems that are on the vehicle. And so I think you have this sort of push and pull there as well. I mean, the fact is, if you have physical access to a thing, um, it's much easier to compromise. That's always been true. Um, but then internet connecting, it just means you can do it from that much further away. Um, but yeah, I think the... You know, in addition to modular, being able to actually patch and update these systems is also a critical part. And I'm curious, Josh, if you're if you're seeing that as well.
0: Oh, a, a thousand percent. Again, for economic reasons, and so there's. I didn't know a ton. I mean, I've always done like a lot of systems programming. I, I didn't. I, I got recently into a lot more like embedded device type stuff, and it's just blown me away how. Um, basically, like, I looked at this stuff 15 years ago, and if you wanted to design a tiny computer, you're, you're making a PCB, right? And you're designing circuits, and you're doing all this very low-level stuff that's fundamentally electrical engineering, and there's, like, some, mm-hmm. some, some logic to it. Uh, you, can t- you can get a taste of this if you ever uh, have any sort of uh, masochistic tendencies. Um, you can learn, like, a, a Verilog, and you can program an FPGA to sort of simulate some of this really low-level kind of stuff. These days microcontrollers have gotten so cheap that now like the 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 difference between like programming a computer and making like embedded hardware, there's very little difference these days. Like you can you can go on like um you know Adafruit or Sparkfront or some of these like uh these 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 um these vendors and you can buy um, dev boards where you can run Python on a microcontroller and like interact with hardware, analog signals, digital signals, like, like they've lifted it up to the point where you can write Python on a, on a, on a right. microcontroller, right? <laughs> right? It's insane. And, and, and the reason is that microcontrollers have gotten so cheap and so um, size, weight and power efficient that now it just, when, when people are manufacturing new hardware, they're like, yeah, we could go through the, the pain of, like, designing circuits to, like, do this operation. But, like, actually, I'm just going to stick this $4 microcontrol, this PIC microcontroller or, or, or whatever, onto this system and write C. <laughs> and <laughs> and and it's just going to do all the I.O. and calculations and stuff for me. And, oh, by the way, that means, like, I can update the firmware, which is, it's just an operating system, right? You compile right. a new operating system, you send it to the firmware. So So we've seen this, like, Basically, now there are, when I say tiny computers, I mean tiny computers that are running these real-time operating systems on all of these devices. And it's amazing and terrifying at the same time because like now you've got a network of computers, like a network of computers. It's like, think of, you know, uh, systems that were running on, on like Ethernet, which probably, you know, in the 70s, which probably have less computational power than like, definitely have less computational power than like an ARM, uh, an ARM system on chip. You know that, that that you might install right. on, onto us on, on, uh, nowadays. Like that's what you have. That's operating a train is like a network of computers communicating over CAN and and serial protocols, mm-hmm. and they're running teeny little real time operating systems. So all the things you're saying are like it's it's already there. Like these things have happened mm-hmm. for economic reasons, um, because it's just so much cheaper, more efficient, and like um, and, and you're able to like do a lot more from a engineering perspective with with very little. Um, capital investment.
1: Absolutely. Are they and planning getting... on doing it? Doing anything with the the protocol itself in terms of security? Because if it's all it is is messages, mm-hmm. right? And the protocol sort of, you know, does the pro do the people who, you know, the bodies in charge of those protocols are they doing anything to try and look at it from a security perspective and like signing messages and and you know, sort of the assurance side of it?
0: I I have a so two sort of comments here. So one is academics are hell-bent on fixing these systems and, like, redesigning them from first principles with security properties, right? Mm-hmm. Where have we seen this before? Um, and, uh, but the industries are like, dude, like, you think we're going to replace CAN at this point? Like, <laughs> it's here to stay, man. Like, Ethernet, here to stay. Like, it's not right. going anywhere. Ethernet's Fuck got a lot of problems. Yeah, totally. Like, you can ARP spoof uh, an Ethernet network and basically, like, own all man in the middle all the traffic on a collision domain with like right. a very simple technique like the protocol's broken like from a security right. perspective it's broken right we built security on top of it because we've got all these legacy systems that aren't going to go anywhere and to joe's point like ot assets are even stickier than it assets right. so there's there's I, Call me a skeptic, but, like, I do not think we're redesigning the systems. So it's just not yeah. going to
2: happen. And your point as well, you know, I got involved a few years ago. Um, so, uh, looking at a lot of what Joe Grand does uh, and the stuff he does with embedded boards. And um, I've got into, you know, Bus Pirates and connecting them directly to yep. you. you know, y- I got, I got one in my and closet, types. yeah. <laughs> and it's, I'm getting into, and you're really getting into low-level things. And, and one of the things that you're mentioning is, is these embedded chips and, and, and the boards. That you know things like the pies and the arduinos and stuff, and you're just getting them and you just build them to your specifications to what you need. Yep, is that they, what happens is is that adding security is sometimes actually limiting what you can actually use them for. So always <laughs> it always does. <laughs> adding encryption causes a lot of problems. Even even when I was working in the maritime, adding encryption to the VSAC communication uses up about 20-25% of your bandwidth. And yeah. over over a, basically an L-band or a K-band communications,
0: you, you're not going to do Unacceptable. You're not going to do right.
2: it. Because um, I remember even in the oil uh, oil rigs, landing a helicopter, <laughs> you had to stop all patching, all communications, because the most important thing was that ha- helicopter to land safely. That's right. Was, and that's what you get into, is that when there's a helicopter landing on a platform, that if you were doing any types of maintenance or system updates or, you know, even an IT or OT, everything was was put on hold until that helicopter was on the deck. Right. And this is where you get into, and, and when you add security, security uses up bandwidth, uses up processor power, and some of these devices don't have enough to actually do both.
0: I, yep. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and, and so, in fact, this is actually, um, uh, this, is, this is one of the, the key points that we make is, something as simple as software like uh, attestation right so so you sign software like that is not a complicated operation for a modern cpu to do right like there's you doing some 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 software like signature verification checks like that's it's, it's like a an un, like a like a like an unnoticeable blip on your cpu usage most microcontrollers just basically can't handle that computation. Right, right. Period. Like, like it's like it's a bunch of big numbers that you have to multiply together and checks. So they can't do it. They just like they cannot do it. And so you're left with basically like, okay, if I want to take firmware updates uh, on this, on this chip, mm-hmm. um, I can either upgrade it, uh, which means it's gonna cost more to manufacture, it's gonna take up way more power. And I'm essentially like, you know, adding a lot of cost for this cybersecurity feature that no one seems to really care about. Not going to do it. Um, Or I just sort of say, well, the industry standard here is we don't do firmware verification. And now you've got a huge problem, right? (laughs) Now you've got a huge problem. And so the way I see this, and of course, this is totally talking my book here, because this is like what Shift 5 does is like we put a security appliance on the bus that'll handle all of that sort of computation for you. And since it's a single collision domain, we can see all the traffic that's going across this bus we can do all the software verification on our device and that can leave the little microcontrollers to do their, to do mm, their job, right. right? So that
2: reminds me, so you're reminding me of a, a, a scenario that happened about, it must be five years ago now, where one was doing a penetration test. This was on a ship management company. So the company manages like the insurance and you know, the logistics and the staff and, and who goes on the vessel. And so one of the things is that they end up having, uh, they had an incident and during the penetration test, we found out that their light bulbs were a major vulnerability to their actually internal networks.
0: Of course. And, of course and there, it's the light bulbs, yeah. It <laughs> was the light bulbs
2: <laughs> directly connected to their Wi-Fi X. That was the guest network, which was good. It wasn't a you know, kind of production or, or a corporate network, but it was still connected to a, a network where you can actually mm-hmm. use that as a, a, let's say, an entry point and then start elevating from there. So, because once you get on the network, it's only a few more steps before you're in, you know, in further. Now with that, one of the, th- the discoveries was is that, and this ultimately kind of getting reported to the vendor, the manufacturer of the bulbs, and ultimately uh, resulted in what was referred to then was the smart hubs, is that rather than connecting these devices directly to the network, just like all vehicles should not be connected to the public internet, they should actually be connected to some type of vehicle segmentation or, or aggregator or correlator. And therefore, what they started being able to do is know the access points know the data that was going through, know the firmware versions that was out there. Once you start correlating these into, like, let's say, gateways, um, so that those edge devices are not truly on the edge of the internet, they're actually on the edge of a gateway that actually controls uh, those entry points. That became really where you're starting to, even in power stations, they did the same thing, rather than the substation being connected through. (laughs) So the public internet back in, which you have in in Ukraine, which is kind of mind-boggling, but you would actually have them go through these proxies you can control. It's almost like putting a fence around uh, the things you can't secure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, like, so just because it's the world I live in of OEM operational technology, I've been talking a lot about like these sort of like atomic OT assets that are common in transportation and in defense and things. But the broader OT term includes things like IoT devices and ICS and SCADA, which is something we haven't talked... Mm-hmm. I, you've, you've been talking quite a bit about it, Joe, but like, um, you know, I think maybe it would be, be good to kind of discuss some of that. I mean, I think, so ICS and SCADA cybersecurity, you're seeing a lot of really great activity in because we've seen incidents, right? So there are a bunch of companies like the the Clarities, the Nozomi's, the Dragos of the yeah, world. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, really smart people working on an incredibly difficult problem um, and 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 making, I think, really good headway in that space. And I think, from my perspective, uh, ICS and SCADA is really like the bellwether for OEM operational technology because um, of what you're articulating, which is just by its nature, ICS and SCADA... Um, has evolved so that a lot of this resides on TCP IP networks, right? You look look at Modbus and Profibus. You've got these like human machine interfaces that the operators are using. They're communicating with the programmable logic controllers over Ethernet. Um, This is a familiar environment for cyber attackers, right? Which is like Ethernet and like, yeah, sure. I have to write a Wireshark dissector to understand like what, Modbus looks like mm-hmm. and sort of like get a better understanding of, okay, how does this control system, what are functions, that, that sort of thing. But it's in a, a familiar enough environment, and these things are connected to, to, to networks that I'm familiar with compromising, whether that's through a light bulb or it's through a phishing mm-hmm. attack. And so we're seeing a lot of cyber intrusions on the ICS and SCADA space. Uh, because there's not good, you know, historically has been very bad separation between these two things. Um, and that's been both on a, like, network segmentation perspective and also just on the kinds of technologies that you find embedded in ICS and SCADA mm-hmm. systems, which, which just tend to be Ethernet for for whatever reason. Yeah. And and
2: going to your, your kind of point that you were actually mentioning earlier, is, you know, when you, you talked about the train scenario versus, you know, a ransomware scenario, is really getting to what I do find is that the big difference is in in IT. We're talking typically data and some kinetic, you know, some some types of interactions. Um, but when we're talking about OT, it's very kinetic. It's very exactly. interactive. It, it has physical world interactions, whether it being you know pushing a train forward on the on the tracks or whether it being controlling a vehicle. As I mentioned, uh, here in Estonia we had the World Rally Championships recently, and uh, uh, one of the things that they actually did and showed off was actually we had an autonomous uh, bus and do the actually WRC rally track. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, which yeah. was, was impressive. Just doing, going and taking it, and it went and followed the track. And that gets me into one of my next kind of topics in, uh, is that one thing that I find is the energy. The energy was always the bigger problem, is that as companies move, for example, historically, legacy OT would have been using energy that was, you know, oil-related, petrol, you know, um, gas... Now, as they moved into more, let's say, green energy, what I find is those devices tend to be less stable. They are lighter, they're more efficient, but they require a lot more human intervention to keep them going. So when mm. we did the, tra- the, the shipping side, one of the things was if we moved people away from the vessel, um, then was it, and we, you know, they're LNG-powered uh, ships, so they're saving huge amounts of weight uh, on, the, on the vessels themselves but the minute you move people away is then those maintenance and the reliability of those engines are much less than it is from things like diesel so we get into this you know where, where do we get into what's the ideal scenario you know for savings and and security uh, and and making sure they're efficient and also you know from an investment perspective
0: there's always those challenges as well for sure and I'm fascinated to see where these things go um, you know I think Generally speaking, corporations are run by like smart people that are constantly monitoring their, their P&L, right? Like what <laughs> am I operating a profitable enterprise here? And I think so much is the theme with a lot of this conversation. I think so much of the adoption of OT security and procedures around that and how humans fill into that overall Mm -hmm. ecosystem is driven by how profitably you can run your business. And so to your point, I mean, it's, I think once it becomes economical, Mm uh, for whatever reason, whether that's government regulations, making it so, or because we just end up with like green tech, that's so much cheaper than oil and gas or some combination of the two. Um, we're going to continue to see the rollout of a lot of really, you know, like smart power, uh, uh, power generation facilities. And I think it's an open question, like how are corporations going to figure out, okay, well, we've got this new tech, like how many people do we need to help operate this thing? What's the most efficient sort of like, you know, I think it's like, it's called like the labor returns to capital or something like, what's, what's the right ratio there? Um, I don't know that I have the right answer, but I think we'll certainly in general tend to see less people involved in, um, in the operations and maintenance of OT, so a, lot,
2: a lot of a lot of increase in use of drones um, in this yeah. area as well so like you know looking at pipe oil pipe and gas lines, looking at let's say the hull of a ship so that you don't have people going you know going in and observing let's say after a um, mining does some basically let's say explosions, and then rather than sending people down to see what happened, they right. can just fly drones down and not have actually
0: people go into how much? How much sense does that make, right? I mean, yeah. I, I get so excited, you know, like um, mm-hmm. on the entrepreneurial side, I get so excited about these like old storied industries that have really, I mean, like, let's, you know, in the past 150 years, these industries have made our lives fundamentally indistinguishable from where human human existence has been for 100,000 years, right? Like yep. the whole reason we're talking over it, uh, over electrons um, like halfway around the world <laughs> is like is underpinned by all of these old industries that have, have mm-hmm. sort of like made our, life, our modern lives possible. And I get so excited uh, as an entrepreneur about looking at these old mm-hmm. industries and figuring out like how can we give them the next leap forward and like take advantage of all this amazing technological pro- progress we made. I get less excited about like, TikTok. Right. Or or, or like the next dating app, you know? Um, And I I think like, you know, like um, entrepreneur, I don't know how you feel about Mm -hmm. Peter Thiel. I mean, he's like a very like, um, you know, polarizing figure, but like, this is a big thing that he goes on about, which is just like, we have, there's so much incrementalism of like building, you know, the the next Uber for whatever. And, and we've kind of lost sight of like, Hey, there are these, there are these like huge problems that we want to solve as like a human race. And like, if if we either like create new industries or we go back to these mm-hmm. really old industries that have sort of been resistant to technological progress and like as entrepreneurs figure out how do we go to those industries and make them better, faster, right. uh, faster safer, um, I get really excited by that. I, I think there's just, there's a, not, not to torture the analogy, but there's a huge, there's a goldmine of, of, uh, <laughs> of possibilities there, um, okay. you know?
2: Yeah, I remember I was involved in uh, the Shipping 2030 project, um, uh, which was all about the future of shipping. And that's why I was heavily, heavily involved in things like, you know, energy, shipping, renewables, and, um, and the mining industry, I was, uh, and, and autonomous vehicles here in Estonia. So I got heavily involved in those. But seeing the innovations was so exciting. And seeing so exciting. The it was so, for me, absolutely. I get more excited about the ability, you know, that what a drone capability has. Versus what you know, um, the next influencer you know on a social media app has the ability of because of, of, ultimately what they're doing is just selling their their time. What we're doing is making change in people's lives. So that's the difference.
0: I totally agree. You're
2: making A difference to society, not just a difference of entertaining. Right, and that's the the, right. the biggest difference.
0: I, and and it just I mean like I get it, but it makes me so sad that some of the, our smartest mm-hmm. peers are like working at. Uh, you know, big tech companies figuring out how to get people to click on ads, right? That just like, it makes me very sad. Not to get like super philosophical or anything, but like, I think that's where the market is failing us. um, Honestly, is like, I think there's just a ton of money that's going into what I view as just kind of like not really helpful to society. Another one is like in finance, you know, there's, um, I think for up to a certain point, things like hedge funds that like provide liquidity to the market, like there's, there's some utility, but like we've gotten to the point of diminishing returns, right? And, and some of our best and brightest systems programmers are figuring out how to like reprice options within like microseconds rather than milliseconds. And it's like, like dude, come on, you should be figuring out how to put people on Mars. Like what are you doing, you know, making making billionaires richer, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah that's funny cuz that's basically what my uh college professor, uh, the dean of our department said when I came back in 96 from a summer internship on working on um web form software turned to me and my uh my colleague, my peer. He said, "You two are a couple of brightest kids in my class and this this is what you chose to do with it." <laughs> <laughs> And it really did drive my career. I mean, it, it that that I, I still remember that. I still remember the look in his eyes and just the total disdain. Um, I mean, web for let's be clear, web forums <laughs> tends
0: to do that to people. But
1: um. well, I mean, but we were. This is 96. 697. So we were like, we were the first ones. We were, we were, it was, we were out there.
0: It was terrible just back then, too. So, yeah, no, it's
1: totally terrible. Um, I will say on the plus side, we did, uh, create a university. We were helping as a Davis university. So we were helping to educate people, but yeah, no, it was terrible. And so that drove a lot of my decisions throughout the rest of my career in terms of trying to go to, uh, whether it was contracting NIH or whatever. I think to your point, Josh, I think there's, there's various ways to to give incentives to people to sort of yeah. move into these more these other spaces, um, but money always talks, right? And it always it's, talks, it's, and, and fortunately, though,
0: I think it just takes a couple of people leading the way because there's, mm-hmm. like I said, there's gold in those hills. Like, oh, like yeah, these absolutely. old industries, there's so much operational efficiency to be gained by like yep. smart people solving important problems, and like you know, the, the the revenues in mining, for example, are like astounding, right? And right. so if you can make operations 3% more efficient, like you're talking about real money. Um, and so I just think it takes people like talking about this stuff and bringing it to public conscious. Like we don't need to be talking about the next JavaScript framework on right. podcast. Like let's talk about like, what, what are drones doing to the mining industry? Like, you yeah. know, how can we make planes more secure from cyber attack? Like there's, I, you know, the more that, technical people are excited about these kind of old and crufty industries that people are, are maybe not yeah. on the face of them super excited about, the more we're going to encourage young people to get into Turn, turning spaces.
2: ships into massive 3D printers. That's what we <laughs> right printer on the ocean. That's what we should be doing. And then, and then so doing. Yeah. you know, it, it gathers the the minerals, and yeah. actually prints its, whatever it needs to print on its way to the destination. This is how um, we get Skynet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is
0: you know you want to talk about an AI. Now you've got uh, <laughs> we we'll you self propagating species. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm holding back the
2: AI for another
0: conversation. <laughs> maybe
2: <laughs> maybe for the audience that's a good kind of segue into. <laughs> yeah. We will talk about um, you know I call it cyber buzzwords or buzzword bingo. R- um, oh, yeah. We'll I, talk about that. We will get I've, on that topic soon.
0: <laughs> Joe, I've got opinions. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, so we'll have to
1: have you back.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm inviting myself that, That's going to be an yeah. interesting conversation. <laughs> so. yep. But uh, at that point, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up now. I think yep. I mean, it's been very interesting. I think we've got, you know, as you're saying, you know, kind of quick, you know, summary is that it, at the end of the day, it's all about safety. It's all about, you know, making making our lives better. It's about making sure, you know, safety is the number one priority when it comes to OT. And, you know, there is the risks as they basically become more connected and, and, you know, these systems are all around for a long time that they do become vulnerable. And it's a question about how we actually maintain somewhat of a segmentation or, or keeping them somewhat, you know, in some type of gap that they shouldn't be directly connected. So, therefore, we can you know, measure um, the firmware updates, measure their uses, measure the data, so they actually become, you know, more safe in regards to what the potential risks are from cyber threats. So, Josh, I'll pass over to you for final thoughts. Or Do you see we're, we're, we're going in the right direction or we're kind of hitting bumps in the road? What's your thoughts on, on kind of the path that we're taking at the moment?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful. I think that, um, you know, we've got a situation where there's all these OT assets out there that aren't going anywhere. Um, we, as a cybersecurity industry, need to figure out, learn the lessons from the past, mm-hmm. how we secured IT systems that... In the 70s, weren't going anywhere. And how do we make these things more secure so that we don't, people don't lose their lives? Because the stakes couldn't be higher, right? They, they really couldn't be. And so, you know, I mean, there are, I think there's an ecosystem that's going to evolve around this problem. We've got to figure out how to secure the old stuff. And then also let's figure out how as cybersecurity professionals, mm-hmm. we like sort of like take a deep breath, let the nihilism leave us and say, okay, <laughs> how, do we, how do we make future systems more secure? Um, and then, you know, there's this challenge of like, in these industries, people are very motivated by like, what are the, the profits and what's the effect on the bottom line? And how do we make a compelling case to, to people um, that cybersecurity is really important? And then, oh, by the way, are there ways that we can design systems that both give you cybersecurity and make your operations more efficient. I think uh, I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm an optimist, but I'm I'm, I'm so, hopeful we're moving in the right direction.
2: So, so would you get on a plane that has no pilot or a train that doesn't have a driver? Where, 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 where's your boundaries at the, at the moment?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I will say, uh, you know, I, I we do a drive a semi autonomous car, um, and I I will say, let's put it this way, I supervise the <laughs> the algorithm manually. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that we're, uh, we're heading in, in the right de- direction because I'll tell you, I've been in the car with some awful human drivers and uh, yeah. there's there's <laughs> a my, lot of room for improvement.
2: <laughs> that's my point is that I'm not too worried about being on a plane that doesn't have a pilot. I'm just worried about the other pilots in the sky. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: And maybe, maybe to the point of the AI, now we'll get to talk about um, are there like, uh, where's the game theory of like, if oh, I overwrite yeah. my car, car's firmware so that it takes advantage of the sort of like, um, you know, risk averse nature of other cars on the road. Can I like just sort of zip through on the highway? I think there's a whole the world, the future's gonna be uh weird. That's yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And Mike, any thoughts,
2: any final kind of comments or what's your would you get on a plane with no pilot?
1: <laughs> with no pilot? No. But I mean right now most planes are are mostly flown, you know, by computers. I feel like mm. I think the the one thing we didn't touch on too much though is that one of the things that's very tough, uh to deal with is when you have humans and computers and the and the human can sort of override what the computer wants to do because yes. that's where safety can really fight. break down, right? And there can be a fight, right? My, my risk tolerance might be higher uh, in this particular driving situation. I might, you know, jab on the gas and cut hard to the left, whereas the AI is like,
0: no, stop. Or and you're at a Boeing seven thirty seven max eight and actually the pilot's right and it's the, <laughs> exactly. the controllers that are wrong. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, no,
1: I think my line, you know, I'm I'm um optimistic uh with Josh, but um mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't think that uh, I'm ready for fully autonomous anything yet, um, but hopeful that we'll get there um, and really happy that people like Josh and his company are in this mm-hmm. space and there's that companies and people are seeing the opportunity, um, both not just from a, hey, let's make the world a better place, but also mm-hmm. from the financial aspect, because I think that will be what really drives the innovation and the security and, and the rest of it. Yep. Absolutely. And these industries yep. are core to, to
2: you know, making the world a better place. The, the yep. society, you know, it's, no it's what connects people, what moves people around. And it's ultimately what eventually we'll get into, you know, closer to the likes of Star Trek, you know, and space travel and and the real things that we can, you know, we envision. I think these are the things that, you know, if we put the right people in place with these industries and really talented we will create, you know, a, an amazing, uh, let's say, visionary future that will one we'll all want to be, you know, part of. So, so that point, many thanks, Josh, for for being on the show again. It's awesome, and uh, definitely, I'm really looking forward to this Buzzword Bingo one. So,
0: artificial intelligence. Anytime, guys. <laughs> I, I, I love I, uh, so, I love uh, getting on the podcast with you. So, anytime you want we'll, to, we'll, we'll we'll follow up. Sounds great. And Mike, again,
2: many thanks for joining me. It's awesome to kind of get in these uh, fun, fun conversations. So, so for the audience, hopefully it's been valuable. Hopefully you'll learn a lot. Um, hopefully, you know, Skynet is not so close, uh, but, you know, hopefully uh, we'll be able to, to, let's say, embrace technology, I always say responsibility. That's what, that's what we want to do is embrace it, but with a responsibility. So again, tune in every two weeks for the 401 Access Tonight podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. And look forward to having you on future shows. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybery for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thicotic.com.